Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. My name is Sylvan, and I will be your host. Today, we meet with Manuel Hartmann. He started his career at Accenture in Zurich, where he was responsible for the implementation of large Salesforce projects, a clear consultancy job. After three and a half years in consulting, he moved into the startup world and was responsible for sales and partner management at the Swiss startup OneDot. After his first experiences in the startup world, Manuel realized that many B2B startups in Switzerland are dissatisfied with their sales figures. As a result, he founded the Sales Playbook, a solution to help B2B startups achieve true product market fit and find profitability. After more than 30 customers, it's time for a Q&A session to ask for best practices and his sales tips. Let's go. Before we get started with the episode, I would like to introduce you to SBB Startup. If you think that your company is a good fit for the Swiss Railways, get in touch with them or learn more about their startup programs at sbbstartup.com. Manuel, a very warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much. Today, we're going to talk about sales. Um, the first question is also targeted at that. Why is sales actually important? And do Swiss startups pay enough attention to this? Yeah, I think startups that sell are startups that scale. It's pretty simple as that. Uh, if you get a fantastic product uh, and you have zero sales, you go bankrupt. And the product basically stays as uh, one thing that makes Switzerland the most innovative country for maybe 10 years in a row. If you get a shitty product like Oracle in the early days, uh, but you sell it really well, or at least you sell it, you get more funding, so you can hire more engineers to fix the product, and you're going to thrive. Uh, and it makes everything from fundraising to uh, customer convincing to actually uh, talent attraction uh, so much easier. Uh, so that's the first one, like sales. Yes, it's really important, I think. Uh, the second one, do they pay enough attention to this? I don't think so. Like Switzerland is not a sales country because like it's, it's not a badge of honor like it is in the US. Like it's more people don't want to write sales anyway in the CV because they're afraid that their parents are not going to visit their grave or them even during their lifetime. So everybody is like a senior business developer, key account manager, corporate partnerships, whatever guy. Everybody gets revenue targets, but nobody does it right. Uh, but still, I mean, for, for a B2B startup especially, like it's just the, the most important thing probably to make sales happen effectively at scale with the limited resources you got. So basically there are way more people in sales that are just not aware of their exact job titles. Yeah, but they don't want to, right? Uh, let me tell you a brief anecdote. Uh, I'm teaching a course, uh, Sales for Digital Business at Fachhochschule Graubünden. And uh, I know like the Dean of Studies pretty well. So we went over for dinner. Uh, I was just visiting for coffee after lecture and I was like, oh, it's you, Manuel. Sorry, go away. I don't buy anything. Of course, that's funny. <laughs> they left me in after, after like, five seconds or so of joking around, but that, that's pretty much the attitude towards sales in Switzerland. Right. Like in, in the US, it's it's a badge of honor. And so like your uncles are like, oh, you work in sales. That's great. You probably earn more than the CEO. Like you're earning like what, 200K, 1 million. That's a great job. In Switzerland, like why don't you do something serious like a banker or a consultant or a consultant for banking or an auditor for the consultants in banking? And that's considered a more serious job for many. 
Yeah, but in the end, we are actually all selling. Whether you're a consultant, you're selling your hours, right? If you're an investment bank, you have also products that you sell, basically. In the end, we're all selling. For sure. So how would you set up a B2B sales process today? What would be like the best blueprint to follow in that regard? I think it really depends a bit uh, on your industry. And uh, I would, if it's there's one component to look at is like ticket size, because if you sell something for a hundred bucks, uh, that needs to be pretty much online, like put it in the basket, click one check buy. If you sell something like hundred K, you typically need to convince more like seven people and you need to have these really detailed buy a persona, target client, um, mm -hmm. account planning and so on. If you sell something above, you might even need to do um, stupid RFPs and so on, like request for proposals. So, so somewhere in between there's this switch or the line where you say this should happen online without any or too much personal involvement. And after a certain threshold, you need to have a sales team. Where is this boundary? What, what would you say? What's the ticket size where you should actually start having your own sales team? Mm, I think it's important uh, as a startup that w at least one of the founders, typically the CEO, is always selling themselves because you need these learning cycles to find product market fit and you need to be at the front line to learn what to incorporate into the product, what to tell engineering, what to build, how to onboard new hires so to, to have that closeness to the market. I get like weekly requests and like, oh, uh, you seem that you have some idea about sales. Can you do it for me? I was like, that's a very stupid idea. Uh, that's like, if you tell me like, uh, okay, take my boat, go fishing. I bring back some fish and then the guy's becoming dependent from like a good sales guy. That's not the point. Right. It's very similar to if you consider yourself as a tech company, you want to outsource technology. It's just it's that, stupid. It's nonsense, right? Even if I know of some companies like N26 or so, like they, they had like large tech teams on contract and so on. So it happens, right? Uber app was not built by Uber employees like initially. So let's look at the B2B sales process. What are like the different stages that you should tackle as a startup? Yeah, I think first of all, it's, it's the connect phase and uh, how do you determine who's the buyer persona and who's like a target client, right? So like what's typically like go to market. And I think it's in, in three words, it's like qualification, like what's really your industry segment focus? Are you selling to insurance or banking? What's more attractive? What's like, um, Basically, you profile large companies, small companies in Switzerland uh, by geography, which department are you selling and so on. And then also define like your, your total addressable market for this specific segment, including the accessibility. So if you're selling to so like all oh, a great many of insurances in North Korea, it might not be easy to contact them on LinkedIn and just like visit them for a coffee. If uh, they are all basically sitting at F10, like, and you an F10 member and you can get access to them at any time, like might be way easy, for example. Absolutely. And then the, the specification is also not only understanding like the role, like you're selling to a head of compliance, let's say, uh, but also who is that person? Like who's the target customer profile as a, as a person. So building these personas, building these customer journeys, building these buyer journeys and understanding the people behind it. How do you actually determine this, this correct or the right buyer persona when you're starting out? How do you find the right target client? Um, yeah, tricky question. I teach a class in design thinking as well in like my free time, so to say. Uh, and there's a lot about taking assumptions, but validating them as quickly as possible. Do, doing problem interviews, uh, asking people, show, show, don't tell. Like if you have a prototype and you give it to them and have feedback, tangible one, um, that's great to find like problem solution fit. But at one point you need to ask for the money because that's really determines when 
somebody basically commit when it's really like uh, value in for them. And usually you also focus on one or several industries when you are starting out. What would you recommend? Does it make sense to focus on just one industry at the beginning of your sales process or should you already tackle several at the same time if you can? What I see really often is like startup basically asking me for like an introduction probably happens to you as well. And many founders like, uh, yeah, can you do me some introduction? Pretty much anything goes. I hate that as hell uh, because it's focus on a niche is really, really crucial. So ideally you begin with one industry, one use case only and understand uh, the market validation of what is to really like a cookie cutter in the sense of dough coming through and it's like tuk, 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 and you can build an engine. Yeah. Because that is what's making it scalable and profitable and repeatable and actually credible on the market if you do one thing really, really well. Bexio is, uh, is an awesome example on that and everybody was telling them, yeah, you should go to Germany, you should go like to uh, medium enterprise, to corporates, you should uh, basically compete with other companies. Like, nope, not at all. We do companies of like two to 25 people, maybe 50. And we focus on making accounting as easy as possible. There's some slight CRM part, so it integrates well. And there's connection to banking, but everything goes towards that one single problem, that single use case. Um, and not diverging from that over a, an extended period of time until selling it for, I think, 100 million plus to Mobiliar uh, is an excellent uh, example of keep being focused at the beginning, but then also keeping that focus once people tell you, like, you should do a lot of other things. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good thing to keep in mind. So now you connect, you basically know uh, what uh, buyer persona or target clients you should tackle. What's the next stage that you should focus on? I think once you once you tackle them, it's really all about preparation. It's really about um, having a script. I know it's not theater, but write like a discovery call script, write a qualification script. How do you want to run your, your discovery calls in the sense of like learning as much as possible about the customers? You have examples, what goes in there? What goes in there is like, um, very simple. Where are you right now? Where do you want to go in 2020? What are your challenges to do this? And why didn't you do it yourself? Very, very simple discovery. And then go deep onto like, what would it mean for you if you go from A to B and uh, build that value, build the perception that ideally the customer, the prospect builds the, the value themselves. And then obviously that's very company specific that um, the company, like the, your, your counterpart understands really well the value what it would mean to go from a to b because in that moment it becomes a return on investment calculation to realize a certain value to make 500k more in revenue to save 20 percent of costs which translates to 200k uh, and then you you have any price that is lower than that with like what i call a trust discount because as a startup uh, the guy from my thing like yeah okay you're junior guys like you didn't do this enough, like one out of two times it works. So like you need to reduce the perceived value by half. And then you also want to give the person a three to 10 X return on investment to actually switch internal procedures and so on. But then still, if you are, you know, targeting the right people, you might also meet people that are in the right area, in the right group, but not ready to buy. So yeah. is there any trick or any concept how you actually qualify the leads that you spend your time on the promising leads that will actually probably buy from you and don't waste your time with the leads that are not there or not ready yet for you? Uh, you can do quiz up front. You can ask this very directly in a call as well. I have a quiz I send to people before a call, like, hey, uh, when would you like to start this? If given uh, it will provide a lot of values, like I want to start right now in the next one or two weeks, 
I was like, uh, it's important, but starting two to six weeks is fine. Versus, uh, it's fine for now. I just want to have a chat. Like nothing will happen in the next three months. So it, it sets the scene, and um, at least like you're getting this open conversation about it, right? The same about budget. The same about like, do you have really a need? Like, how much is this this problem worth uh, solving for you? And by the way, it doesn't help to spare that for the last meeting after like a half a year. And it's like, oh, uh, do you have the money? It's like, no, I don't. I cannot decide shit. It's like, uh, cool. Thanks for wasting my time. Yeah. So that's why it's super important to ask the right questions in the beginning in order to qualify as good as possible, right? Yeah. And how do you actually get first get the first touch point with your clients? Do you do that over a call? Do you do that over an email? What's working best from your experience? Um, it really depends on the industry. If you're selling to Horeca, like hospitality, restaurants, catering, for example, these guys are not often on LinkedIn, right? So um, if you, however, sell to like uh, corporate guys, like white collar worker, LinkedIn might work, work very well. So go where your buyers are and uh, where there's, it's not too crowded or not to a platform they, they trust, right? There might be events, like right now it's webinars, it's also events, uh, might be LinkedIn, might be calls, might be emails. Send physical letters right now. People appreciate like a handwritten letter. It's one of your top 20 clients do it. Uh, send them an owl basically like carrying your message if you have some available, if it works. <laughs> so I, I last week had this question like, what's the best sales channel? It's like, it depends. The one that works, the one where you put in like one franc and get two out of it. That's the best sales channel for you. How would you actually go about testing them? Um, because when you start out, you don't know which channel is working out best for you. Yeah. How do you go about testing that? Do you then uh, would you recommend doing like I don't know twenty cold calls and twenty cold emails, or how would you do that to compare it and find the best channel? Make make it really clear about the experiment that you're going to run. What do you expect of it? What's your assumption? Mm -hmm. So say like okay, if you run an email campaign uh, to hundred people, uh, basically what do you expect out of it? Okay, if uh, it takes me like two hours to to get hundred leads uh, in a certain industry, certain ideal customer profile. I, it takes me two hours to prepare it, ship it. I expect uh, 80 people to open it, uh, 20 people to reply it, and five of them to actually book a meeting of me, of which two become paying customers within three weeks. That's that's a, a smart experiment. So that's in terms it's very specific. And then after like three weeks, you take you assess right and it's like, is it five customers? Then double down and put all your money there. Mm -hmm. And if it's zero response, like you need to understand the mechanism where did it fail was it the wrong guy wrong message wrong channel wrong timing wrong follow-up uh where did you go where did you get wrong and do a b testing there could it be like i could imagine that this is super tricky if you get like zero response to then find where it actually stocks where you need to do an improvement do you have any recommendation about that yeah then it really sucks first of all <laughs> uh, because you, you don't learn right when you get zero response. Um, if you don't, if you're not at the level where you understand your target, your buyer persona well enough to do this, um, ask for help, right? Uh, go back one step from selling to market validation and ask people, like reach out to them on LinkedIn. It's like, hey, you're obviously a professional in that. Uh, I'm building my business, would love to catch a two to three insights from you how to improve it. Uh, jump in 50 minutes, half an hour, hour calls if you can. And uh, just just basically ask questions all the time. Learn. That's a very good uh, recommendation to follow. If you're not there yet, go back to square one. Basically, do your research and then come back stronger. Basically. Yeah. Startup weekends work like this. You meet at six p.m. on Friday. Like you have a very rough idea on Friday, ten p.m. after two beers. 
and you got basically Saturday to come up with something validated and do 20 discovery interviews. And it's amazing what people get done over a weekend, right? So it's no excuse for founders to like, oh, I don't find people to talk to. Like, fuck that. There they are, all waiting for you to call them. I mean, write to people, like jump on the five-minute WhatsApp calls, or, like any, anybody else I could talk to and go like this. So now let's assume that you found a channel that's working. So you, you got the connect stage and the preparation stage uh, ready and done. What do you do next? So now you had the first uh, qualification with your lead. They are interested in your solution. They also have the budget and the timing is right. What happens next? Regarding the execution of how you actually go from lead to a closed customer. Exactly. Uh, it really depends a bit on your setup, uh, often defined by seal size. Sometimes it's simply like a half an hour call. I mean, today morning basically had one guy we talked and then on the call is like, yeah, fine by me. So I thought like, okay, let's test this if this actually works in Switzerland. Like, okay, I just send you a link. Can you please just sign up and enter your credit card details? And like two minutes later, like, cool, money in the bank. Good. Nice. Um, for, yeah, that was like for 950 bucks, right? Uh, 3, 3K overall. So 3K over the phone, over a call is great if you can do it. Uh, if you go to more complex stuff where you need to integrate in the custom setup, like anything like before as well, like 2200K, uh, then it's, it's basically needs a bit more time. So you probably need to talk to multiple people, get them all to the table, make sure everybody's happy. Everybody got their interest covered. They, they can answer it. So I might need one call with like the single point of contact, orchestrating it, doing it like longer meeting, and then maybe meeting physically. If it's above hundred K, you typically need, according to garden study, like seven people to convince. So you need to orchestrate it really well and perfectly well understand how does this company buy stuff. So yeah, this really depends on the cost and also the complexity of your product, how that process actually goes. Is there anything universal that you can share that can speed up the process so that you can get to like get faster to the closing stage to close the sale? <laughs> we could talk about this for an hour. Um, no joking, but um, target tailor take control is a good one. I like uh, it's like really be specific how you want to do this. This is again, the ideal customer profile. So you know what you're doing, you did it before and then tailor it to the specific guy and really go deep on the questions like, Hey, honestly, just assuming everything works perfectly fine and you get that three to 10 X ROI from us. How would you go on on buying this? What needs to happen until we can actually make it really successful in two weeks, two months, two years, and have that person explain to you exactly how this works. Like, him evaluating it, um, pitching it to um, his boss, uh, then it's a steering committee, then it goes to procurement, then it goes to finance, then it goes to weekly board meeting, then it comes back to you, then you need to do a demo, then you need to put a fucking pilot, uh, and then finally you get a subscription for like 20K a month. So map that buyer journey out really, really well and help your counterpart in the organization go through the journey quicker. Provide them with all the materials. There's no, there's no physical law that like that an apple falls from the tree uh, that basically says like a B2B sales cycle needs to take six months. Is there anything in particular where you can give us an example about, you know, providing them with the right material at the right time to support the whole process? Yeah, I'll give you two examples, uh, one which worked beautifully and one which fucked up um, because it's also important to learn from. Um, the first subscription we actually sold at uh, one that was, I saw an article um, basically in a newspaper, like our CEO saw it actually, and said, I gave you might want to call this guy at a chat in August, 2017. 
and they're like okay i got one concrete case which i'm working on i'm the project lead uh probably in november in november he called me uh we set up a pilot within like two weeks uh eight weeks done later basically 60k committed uh all all good because the problem was there we had one guy really close that was trusted to the buyer uh, orchestrating the whole thing we could provide value actually so it was a good fit and the buyer really needed it because he called me and said like Herr Hartmann, uh, sorry for the German, but Herr Hartmann, ich kann es nicht mehr ruhig schlafen. Ich muss jetzt so was machen hier. Uh, PIM ERP Datenmigrationsprojekt und ich bin's gelernt, der Kaufmann. Könnt's da was machen? So that was basically, yeah, we do that for a living. So yes, it's fine. Uh, so that, that worked well, right? right. And then there was another one, um, one of the largest sports retailers in Switzerland, uh, in, in all of Dach actually. And uh, the the CEO of the digital entity of that basically approached me at an event. It was like, what are you doing? It was like, automated product data onboarding. I was like, cool, can I, can I give you money for that? I was like, oh, yeah, I guess, uh, you're the CEO. Uh, how many suppliers do you have? Like 500. I was like, oh, cool, beautiful numbers. So that's in the upper ballpark of what we did, right? And uh, it all sounded beautiful. It was like, okay, cool. I mean, like, talk to my head of product uh, data management. And we did one pilot. And, and then a guy came in late, obviously. And they're like, hey, did we do a pilot? I was like, yes. Um, well, who signed this? Did we pay money? You signed it. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and why do we do a pilot on subject A and not subject B? I was like, because that's what we agreed on. It, the, the other person said. And they said, yeah, but then we need to do another pilot. It was all paid for the amounts. Uh, but then after 18 months, I think, actually dropped. Because, not because it was bad work, it was well respected, but it was just not one of the top three priorities of that guy. What we wanted to do was bringing in more products online faster, easier for them. But he had five new countries to integrate, a new ERP, and to get a new webshop for the whole entity. So that was just like not top of mind. Might be the future. Would you say that this is also important to validate for finding the right buyer persona that you ensure that you are amongst the top three priorities that they actually care about at the moment? And if you're not, you should look for another buyer persona. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, so that brings three things with it. First of all, you need to understand what are the three top priorities of the person. I mean, I sometimes ask very openly if it's to a corporate, like, hey, honestly, what gets you promoted? What makes you really successful in your specific role? Like, what's, what's the KPI you get measured on? Head of innovation might be um, new pilot projects. Uh, CFO might be like savings. Like, I talked to my wife who's finally working in procurement and said, like, we joked a bit, like, if I would do a project, it's like, yeah, I give you a lower price. It's like, no, no, please don't. Please give us a really high price so we can negotiate, kind of, so we can like, report it as savings because that's how procurement works, right? Right. They're not measured on, yeah. on spend, but on, on savings. It's like, what the fuck? But that's a very good example. You need to understand what makes your prospect, your potential customer successful, and then play that card to support them in, the, in getting there, right? Yeah, exactly. And the other thing which you touched upon on these uh, top three priorities is um, right now with COVID and uh, an upcoming economic crisis, sorry, that's what I believe in, pretty evident, um, even if stock markets are still up, finally. Um, <laughs> the nice to have stuff like, okay, I paint your website blue instead of green, like I give you uh, a new to-do list which moves things from top to bottom instead of left to right, that will not work because people got their minds out of, on different priorities sure. so you need to tie into this really relevant bottom line impact stuff so once you actually delivered your pitch and you're in the negotiation phase um i can imagine that you're also very busy 
following up with people because you don't hear back from them and you really need to drive the process. Yeah, it sucks. What is like a good balance uh, for regularly keeping in touch with the potential customer, but also at the same time, avoid being a pain in their ass? Right, rigid date in, date out, where it is mutually valuable. So as long as both sides see value in keeping the conversation flowing towards the collaboration, I mean, dude, you can go to my website. It's like first call, like evaluate collaboration. Second call is I collaboration. This is just how it works. And it's on a website. It's pretty clear. And there's no like going back and forth. So go jump on the first call and basically it's like, hey, are you interested in pursuing it further? Yes, no, later. If it's a yes, schedule it in for next week or two weeks after, whatever is a useful time frame. If it is later, then basically set it for June. I don't care. And if it is no, then go away, like go out of my pipeline. Let me work with people I can actually help with. Sure. If you don't manage to do it with the date in, date out stuff, because it's really far out, like set yourself a reminder, um, enroll them in like a useful nurturing sequence, not the American style every two days. How are you? Blah, blah, blah. But send them maybe like a monthly newsletter or so, like with content that's really specifically useful for them, like high value content. Is there like a, an average number where you say that's the amount you need to follow up in Switzerland before you get a reply or you can move forward to the next stage? I think one to three times work. I mean, if you send out like an initial email, no feedback, even your tracking tool might tell you they open it set 26 times and clicked everything there was to click. Uh, send them like, hey, a reminder, maybe like three, four days later. It's like, hey, sorry, just asking, um, didn't get any feedback. And then maybe like one or two more, but then also say like on the third or fourth attempt, like, hey, I just assume, didn't get any feedback. I just assume it's not a priority for you. And you, you do a hard ball and say like, uh, this is my last contact. Let's never speak again if you don't answer. Or you say like, uh, understood, it's not a priority for you right now. I might get back in touch in one or two months. So then you would also suggest that it's actually, it does make sense to then stop contacting them um, after three, four, five attempts without hearing back from them because otherwise it's just lost time. Yeah, I think neediness is one of the worst things that happens to you in sales. If you run out of cash and you know it and the buyer feels it, like that makes you really weak. I mean, at kind of best, it, it basically awakens predator instincts to negotiate really bad terms out of you. At worst, uh, the guy is just really like not attracted at all and that doesn't do anything. Yeah. And it's a cultural thing. So I use a US-based tool for my online platform. And if you say like, okay, Cold email sequence is suggest you to send eight emails within twelve days. That well, is not a lot. good. That is not in the US. It's normal because it's such a crowded market. Sure. In Switzerland, it's not a good idea to do that. Not only because of GDPR, because people are just pissed off. Is there any other sort of recommendation for the follow-up stage that you would uh, give to other founders? You know, in order to again get closer to the deal, speed up the process. That can really be a good help there. Reduce to the max. I mean, no, not a lot of no PowerPoint ideally. Um, just like maybe five lines. Hey, uh, thanks for the call to discuss how you can reach X. I understand you do Y to uh, move to Z, and I understand you have challenges A, B, and C. Would love to help you with these. Glad to share a few insights on how you can tackle these. Like no strings attached. And then looking forward to the next call that is hopefully scheduled by that time. And especially right now, um, give them a video. I mean, there's tools like Loom, L-O-O-M.com, which you know, smilingly. Yeah. I think I did like Loom videos 350 today lunchtime in four or five months. Nice. 
And people appreciate it because it's human, right? And it's interactive and it's like useful. I think that's a cool addition to add a human touch on, on your sales process and stand out from the crowd, basically. You know, uh, one question that we also got was there are many startup awards and, and, you know, basically awards that you can receive in a specific industry. What's your perspective? Do they help you in any way to build a reputation and to close more deals in the end? To build a reputation, yes. To close more deals, limited. Um, you, you customize one question for you. And this is basically what's in for me as a human being, as a, as a person, like, how do you make me successful? How do you help me move things off my plate, move problems away, right? Everybody got monkeys in his own personal zoo. And like, if you come, you need to basically say, I take one monkey, one problem away from you. I take them with me, leave the door. You give me a suitcase full of cash and the monkey's gone, so to say. Uh, awards don't help you with that. Your customer doesn't care, right? Uh, your customer also doesn't care about the investor pitch tech and the total addressable market and your tech and your team and your runway and stuff. Focus like I'm I'm customer obsessed, like focus on customers and solving real world problems. Yeah. And then the money will follow. If if it doesn't, you're not solving a problem. It's yeah. that simple. Yeah. Got it. Exactly. So now we talked about the sales process, about you know the different stages. But along the stages, I can also imagine that there are some KPIs that you want to track and follow in order to better understand and optimize your sales process. What are the most important KPIs that a startup should focus on in B2B sales? I think you got it well with cash, revenue, bookings, customers, pipeline. Uh, so these, these are really crucial to know at 3 a.m. drunk in a bar right now at home on a couch. Um, it might not be 3 a.m., kind of hard. Um, I would also track customer satisfaction. Uh, yeah. With a net promoter score, or how would he do that? Yeah, yeah. Even if you don't do the complicated Bain originating metrics, just send a survey after like an initial collaboration or after like a milestone, and basically, okay, how how likely are you to recommend this, or how happy are you on a scale of one to seven, one to ten? Sure. And then just just like also to keep customers honest, right? I mean, if they give you a nine and suddenly they say like, oh, I'm not happy with the work, it's like, why don't you, do you give me a nine? Like, what should I improve? What does it take for me? to get you from a six to a 10 feedback loops. Um, otherwise, all the stuff like customer acquisition costs, customer lifetime value, monthly recurring revenue are all great. Um, get an idea about it as an early stage startup. Be honest with yourself and sharpen it as you go, right? And how often, where should you track them? Like, do you use a specific tool for that? Or do you have all of them in your, your CRM? Or how do you track these numbers and how often? Cash is your bank account, right? Revenue and bookings is where you where you basically, I use Bexio, for example, now transitioning to an online platform and basically Stripe is doing the work, um, also regarding MRR and so on. So that's ideal, right? If you use a tool that gives you these dashboards automatically as you go. Right. Otherwise, it doesn't hurt, honestly, just for the team, if you're more than like one, two people, like write them on a wall, write them weekly on a wall. I did stale state of the nation uh, emails, just like five five bullets long. Just like on Friday afternoon, basically writing like, hey, this is like revenue plus 50K closed um, micro, whoever. Uh, this is like bookings. Uh, this is like pipe um, plus 30K because we actually have minus 50K from the customer we closed. We generated 80K pipeline, so it's plus 30. And these are, is the key lesson learned. So weekly basis is good. Tools depends a bit on your setup. What other tools do you use along the sales process? I mean, for sure, a CRM, that's very important, I can imagine. Yeah, but the, the for sure, I would I would love if that's well, is more better established in Swiss startup uh, circles. So 
I implemented CRMs for like three years, been an admin on Salesforce for four years and stuff. Uh, but like definitely get a low cost CRM, start with free version of like, for example, HubSpot or so. Pipedrive doesn't cost you the world. Um, Salesforce doesn't cost you the world, maybe a country, which is still fine if it brings you value. In addition, I'd recommend to spend like 60 bucks a month for LinkedIn Sales Navigator for lead identification and understanding your market. Because it's just how makes... do you exactly use that? Because I think that's a very interesting tool that might not be used so often yet. Uh, LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Exactly. It depends on the objective you try to achieve. Uh, first of all, it can objectify this market size estimate, right? It's like, oh, I believe like there's a ton of companies doing X, Y, Z. It was like, well, go there, type on all the insurance companies with uh, 1,000 to 100,000 people in Switzerland uh, for risk management. And then you see the exact number of companies because they are all there. And then you also see the exact number of head of compliance and risk guys that are there. So that's, that's the validation purpose. The second one is I use a tool called Interseller, like inter interstate and then seller like the salesperson.io, uh, which allows you to basically take uh, LinkedIn contacts and scraping their email address from public sources. So all good and integrated with your CRM. So you can do outreach either via your email Interseller itself, you CRM, and actually have like um, very clustered, very well specified uh, outreach campaigns of maybe like 10 to 50 people. Any other tools that come to mind? Uh, Loom for videos, you can use Drift, uh, Vidyard, Vidya, I don't care. Uh, DocuSign, AccuSign for contracts, uh, Bixio for bookkeeping, other tools for outreach and sales automation where you see fit. There's a ton of them, like active campaign stuff. I would stay away or at least be very diligent about all the LinkedIn automation stuff, like the LinkedIn helper, Lempot, um, Ulink, all that stuff, because it can, worst case, get you banned from LinkedIn with your personal profile. And um, best case, basically impair your reputation for being trustworthy and authentic. Now let's also switch to some general questions that were handed in from the community um, after tackling the basics of B2B sales. One very hot topic at the moment is obviously the Corona impact on yep. your sales process and also on closing rates. Yep. What's your take on that? <laughs> I did two two webinars today morning, one with uh, Bureau Zuri and one with Crowdfoods actually on um, remote selling. And uh, obviously it's a lot of like due to COVID. Uh, I see quite some delays on closing deals due to current uncertainty that people say like, ah, oh, yeah, Probably uh, I love what you're doing, but let's just hold off for until things normalize, which will be a long time. And this is unfortunately because normal people are waiting for what's next and that might take until 2021, right? It, it just also means that people need to step up their sales game to provide more value and improve the process as they go uh, right now to thrive in the future. So even if stuff is not closing right now in April, you need to fill your calendar for May so you can close deals in June and Q3. Otherwise, there will be summer vacation in July, August, people are off. And then you restart slowly again in September. And then it basically like you start closing stuff in October instead of like May or June. And five months is a lifetime, li literally a lifetime regarding runway often in startups. The, the next question that we got is actually something you already answered because you just closed the deal today. The question was, can you close a deal fully remote? How and what to consider? Maybe we can highlight the differences there. It, you know, whether you can actually close a deal fully remotely compared to being there in person or having a physical uh, meeting with a whole team. Yeah. What are the differences that you need to consider in order to still get uh, the success that you're looking for? 
I think the biggest difference is how you create trust because you being there in person, like it gives you flesh and blood and people can touch you and go for lunch and get drunk with you if need to be. Um, if you're drinking, no need for that. Um, if you do that remotely, like put on your video, like get as much of the human experience uh, and trust on that as possible. What really helps you uh, either way, but even more like if you can be the testimonial there or you can bring like a reference customer with you, uh, that you have great uh, sales story, uh, sales stories. You have great customer testimonials, success stories. You also have good risk reversal strategies of like action-based money-back guarantee. So don't give customers their money back. Like if they just test out ten suppliers, you work for free, and then basically they all, all ask for the money back from line. But when they do this stuff that you committed to do together, and they still find a waste of time. I do that for all my customers. So far, none of the forty-five wanted to have their money back. So. <laughs> reason there must well. be some value in it then <laughs> yeah yeah i mean typically you, you but you need to reduce that risk for buyers right and some startup founders are like oh but why i'm not even sure this works right like oh i cannot take that risk like what if it fails like mate work on your fucking offering why should the buyer basically take the risk from you if you even not sure like you can pull it off sure like that's that's could that fair. could that also be a bad sign that if you're offering like your money back uh for, for example to a larger corporate that they then don't really take you seriously? Could that also be the issue? Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't take do like maybe an unconditional money back like for strategy forever, right? It's not a selling point as such. But if people are concerned on going full scale from the start, like spending 100K on it for corporate company-wide rollout, it's fully fair to say like, hey, that's fine, right? Uh, let's start small. Let's start with like one business unit that where do you see the most value? We start with a package of 10, 20K um that's basically what you commit to the plan is still to do the 100k but if you basically don't see fit to roll this out afterwards for anything like change resistance internally change of strategy then you spend 10k and on the rest there's not even the money back but um we just don't do it so we cre still created operational value in the core business but then we don't go further which is fine the next question was also about you know doing sales yourself versus also using or leveraging partners in your sales process. So should you actually do everything in the sales process yourself or does, and if so, where does it make sense to partner up? Um, it definitely makes sense to partner up and it's very tempting and because partners can be awesome <laughs> because you don't need to do stuff, right? Uh, and a lot of starters think that like, oh, I, I do partner sales as strategic partners. They will all do, do all the work for me. Yeah, right. Um, it's tricky at the beginning because you don't have all the assets to enable partners to do it, right? You don't have the reference stories. You don't have this ideal customer profile, which is provenly working. You don't have the materials for sales, discovery, onboarding, all the stuff you need for yourself as well. So you cannot shift off the responsibility of you to find product market fit and get all this stuff done to your partners. They have a core business, right? So you need to make it easy enough for them to sell. So that's the part where it just doesn't work. The second part is that you need to be at the front lines to work, see what works and what doesn't to have these custom interactions, find product market fit, write great sales scripts, improve them again and make your organization ready to scale. I think if, if there's only one takeaway that people take home today, I think it's that one. Like really be out there, be at the front line and do sales yourself as a founder. This is so crucial to understand the market. I mean... That's the most important thing at all, I think. Yeah, and people hate it, right? People are like from ETH, EPFL. Yeah, but I started this company to just be in the basement and build an awesome product, which I do, right? Um, 
before launching, I just spent three years more building the product because guess what? Otherwise somebody might not buy it and I feel rejected. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Obviously you do like some even established salespeople, they hate cold calling. As a saying, like some Swiss salespeople, like industry veterans prefer a half an hour cold shower to half an hour of cold calling. Sucks. The topic for another day is with sales culture. But <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, you need to put yourself out there and fail and learn, right? I have like 21 prospect calls this week and tomorrow's a day off with my wife. But I, you learn with every single one and you just try it. There's also one interesting question that we got, and I think it goes very well along the lines that you already mentioned earlier. How do I create value before closing a sale? Are there any good templates or examples for that? I can send you mine afterwards. We're going to talk about it anyways, right? Um, yeah, provide um, provide stuff that's basically outlining what you're going to do. Like I, for example, for my clients, I have a highly detailed sales accelerated execution plan. I think it has like 43 steps now with very clear sections and subsections and objectives and uh, key results, right? So that's just like, hey, look, this is what we're discussing. Like, think about where do you see the most value in it? Like a white paper. So like, what's the biggest challenge of the seven I outline here? And then let's go deep on that. So you, you, your counterpart comes prepared, right? Maybe a general question that was also asked uh, by the community is, where can I find good templates? For example, call scripts or also email templates? <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, reach out to me as I have 30 plus of them proven from collaborating with 40 plus B2B startups, uh, sales pitch closed. Uh, no, I mean, honestly, like get, get somewhere you find them, like do them yourself, like take from what's working, ask some great salespeople, which you know, and uh, ask them like, hey, what's working for you? Can you send me over a snippet? Can you send me over a tool? Try it out, adjust it over time, learn. Do lessons, learn session. And the last question that we got from the community was about the sales commissions. Should you pay sales commissions to your reps on an individual basis? Yeah, getting the incentives for salespeople right is really, really hard. Generally, I'd say yes to that question if, because you are looking for, for hungry, committed, numbers-driven people to do sales, right? You're not looking for people that come in at 8 a.m. and uh, leave the office at 6 p.m. and they've been there. I mean, I prefer a sales guy that does the one call and uh, basically um, sells 100K and then goes to the beach. That's fine. That's that's the fucking number he needs to do. He <laughs> <laughs> can do it drunk if it's for me, right? But but sales is a numbers game in that regard. Yeah, we we'll talk about recruiting for a while, but if you get applications from salespeople that don't have any numbers in them, like plus X revenue increase, 133 customers and so on. Like, I'm, I get really suspicious. Like, yeah. Then they're like pro good. probably not the right salespeople that yeah. you're looking for. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's an interesting assumption or like observation, actually. I, I've, I've never thought about that, but it sounds plausible. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like if you ask a designer and the guy has no portfolio or if like, you know, you ask an engineer and the guy doesn't have a GitHub account or you ask like a sports guy and he doesn't have a medal at home. It's like, what the fuck are you doing with your life then? For a salesperson, that could also be the bank account. Yeah, that's the American style of it. Like uh, just yesterday, just yesterday had uh, a good call with like a Swiss startup and uh, they asked like, hey, what do you think of uh, this, this North American guy, right? He has already has a Lamborghini. Where's yours? And... Uh, <laughs> And basically, like, I don't have a Lamborghini because I, I'm this Swiss guy that wants to deliver quality and still do one-to-one -one coachings and not one-to-thirty coachings and never speak with you so I can pile cash faster and get the Lamborghini faster. So it depends on the culture, what you want, right? 
to be honest, I would also be way more in the Swiss uh, culture way because that feels more the way of doing things instead of uh, just making as much money as possible. Yeah, the, the thing is not regarding the hiring only that the Lamborghini guy is a bad guy, but the thing is it doesn't resonate that well with the guys he's selling to. Like if you if you're hiring somebody for like VP sales in, in North America, like hire the Lamborghini guy because it resonates with people. Everybody wants to have a Lamborghini, apparently. Some people want to have a Rolls Royce. In Switzerland, if you go to somebody with a Lamborghini to go to the CEO of, of UBS with the Lamborghini and so say like, hey, I'm, I'm crazy successful, like I'm really good sales guy, the guy's like, okay. So I see where my money's going then <laughs> uh, to your next Lamborghini. So I'm not going to work with you. Yeah, you really have to understand the culture that you're acting within, sort of, sort of to say, right? Yeah, yeah. Got it. So that was it for the questions. That was a lot of fun. Maybe one last part. Is there any last sales tip that you can give to our listeners? Uh, yeah, be a decent human being. Uh, sometimes goes off a bit with salespeople. That's why they have such a bad reputation. <laughs> no, really. Really, like, um, before I started uh, as, like, the first business guy with uh, Wondot, so before I found a sales playbook, um, the CEO of Accenture Switzerland, where I worked before for three and a half years, was kind enough to um, give me a reference call. And the guy wrote me um, basically a short email from his vacation, even, which I still truly appreciate. And he wrote, like, hey, when uh, the CEO and founder basically asked me what's bad about Manuel, can you tell, tell me any weaknesses? He said, like, yeah, Manuel is not a sales guy. He's an honest person. <laughs> which I still find really funny but yeah be, be a decent human being like it's a small world uh, try to help people uh, a great salesperson is some, somebody that's really striving to provide value at all times to customers and others and uh, this and becoming professional at what we talked about before will, will help you really that you never even need to leave, look for a job again even during corona I think I think that's a wonderful statement to close the session. Thank you so much for your input and the valuable statements and learnings that you shared. Lots of success for the future uh, with the sales playbook and uh, looking forward to seeing you again soon. Take care. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the content, we would be thrilled to receive your rating on Apple Podcasts. That way you not only support Swisspreneur, but also help other entrepreneurs discovering the show and finding more valuable information on how to run their businesses. Next week, we will already be back with an all new episode of the Swisspreneur Show. So we hope to see you again then for a new episode.